This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast. This is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. Our auto expert is where you're at. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with Truck Girl Jen, who now is officially Truck Girl Jen because she has a mug that says Truck Girl Jen. Mm-hmm. Your mom got it for you for Christmas, yep, didn't she? she did. It's a Steeler mug, actually, because oh. I'm a huge Steeler fan. And underneath it says Truck Girl Jen. All right. Best gift ever. I don't even have my own merchandising line. <laughs> well, Nobody we'll else here at the station has a merchandising line <laughs> except for you. Well, are they for sale? Is there like a website? No. Truckgirlgen.com? Not yet. Not yet. Stay <laughs> tuned. <laughs> well, I, I feel outranked somehow. Uh, I hope uh, I hope you had a good holiday season. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's some interesting stuff coming up for next year. Uh, auto shows. We'll talk a little bit about that today. What's going to happen as far as uh, auto shows are concerned? You know, uh, there's no Detroit this spring. Uh, really? Yeah. Well, there was no Detroit last spring. Well, didn't they move it? Yeah, it's going to summer. Summer. It'll okay. be summer this year. That would be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Summer in Detroit. Yeah. So summer in Detroit. That's going to be very interesting. It's okay, going to be uh, like go. walking through soup. I want to go. All right. Okay, we'll try to go. Uh, uh, we're also going to talk about <laughs> winter driving, the new Dodge Charger GT uh, with uh, Ashton Munoz. Munzo? Munoz? I'm not good at How do you say his last name? Munoz? I, I think that's it. Munoz. Munoz. Uh, he's going to talk to us about the uh, the new. Do- he's really nice. He came and found me when I was in Detroit the other week, and just want to say hi. He's such a nice we, guy. Yeah, we talk to him on the phone all the time. Mike Cordell's going to join us. Uh, he is going to talk about uh, some cool cars and what's happening with the auto shows this year. Uh, you want to learn how to drive in the snow? Todd Harris from Pro Drive joining us to talk about when you know should we take? Do we have to take driving schools? Why should we? I mean, don't we take a test? And the government says we're okay. Should there be further education? I'm sure I'm gonna. I agree. Uh, ba- I'm gonna bait him a little bit when we talk to this, you know. <laughs> like, wow, it's it's pointless. Brian Armistead's gonna be joining us today as well to talk about the new Genesis G80, which, by the way, I had a TV segment on uh, T anyway, on TV. That would be kind of redundant. A TV, a TV really? segment on TV. I did a TV segment <laughs> on the G80 the other day. Uh, it's it's for the money. It's one of the best and most outstanding pieces of luxury machinery for a non-luxury price. And they have the S edition now, the G80S, which is the twin turbo. It also has this sort of, um, I want to do this to my personal vehicle. I was talking to a previous intern of the show last night, Genia, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like he's all into modifying his truck, yes. and he's he's got all these colored lights on it and everything. Anyway, Genia, uh, uh, I told him that I wanted to get this sort of dark chrome, uh, but it's sort of a copper-colored chrome on my uh, vehicles. Because I really like it. I've noticed a lot of wheels being... We should talk to Pat from Wheelcraft, see if he can do that. Oh, Although sure. he painted my Lexus wheels black. Um, and uh, now I want to do this sort of copper-colored trim around it. It looks really kind of cool. It's not like... It's like a, a smoked copper. Okay, so they, I think they came out with a special edition a few years back on the Chrysler 300. Yeah, had same that. thing. I yeah. love that look, especially with the blacked out and then that, oh, it's that, beautiful. So this, it's the hot thing is, I don't know if it's brass or chrome, but it's like a smoked brass, a smoked copper, a smoked chrome. I really like it. 
Um, so I'd like to have that done. Uh, we're going to talk to Anton Wallman, our independent analyst and investor. He's going to fill us in on what's going on. Um, and by the way, this week, um, I have been driving a couple of really cool cars. The Lexus ES, which I really like. It's, it's one of the most solid Lexus out there. It's obviously sedan. It's more luxury than the GS. It's uh, sort of the Toyota Avalon of Lexus. It's really nice, really big. It's got all the Lexus stuff in it. But I've also been driving the 3 Series from BMW, the brand new one that just came out. It's a little bit on the pricey side, but it has this backup assistant or reverse assistant feature, which we haven't had an opportunity to no, test. Uh -uh. But what it is, so you drive in somewhere, let's say it's a complicated driveway that you go into, and you drive into this driveway and you have to turn some tight corners and you get into a weird parking space. When you're in there, you put it in reverse, you hit this button, and all you do is control the brake, and it will steer out the way you came in. So which, apparently I needed that last night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, if we sound a little bit like groggy, um, we had this sort of impromptu, uh, like... Holiday party. Hol yeah, but it wasn't really a plan. It was just like a bunch of people hanging out. <laughs> And it sort of evolved, and Rolls-Royce showed up, and uh, people from the local Fox station showed up, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just, we had a US bunch of friends. Yeah, yeah, John Vincent from US yep. News and World Report, and it was very casual. It, it, the song is correct. We spent all of this, I don't want to call it a party, because it wasn't really a party, and it was, but we spent them in the kitchen. Everybody, yeah, everybody just. My kitchen is probably big <laughs> enough for two, maybe three people. It was like fifteen people. Yeah, there was, it was great. Everyone like passing oh, food me, around. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, and the, this morning, uh, the dogs were absolutely zonked. And Sam, uh, my four-year-old chocolate lab, he'd eaten a bunch. Of, he threw up first thing this morning. He'd like eaten a bunch of whatever. Somebody fed him. Oh, anyway, no. it's just you know. Thanks, guys. Okay, it wasn't me. Uh, well, I, know I did. I did give them a little bit of cheese. Oh, well, um, nice. Do you know what I got? Which <laughs> is the most deadly thing in the world. Um, they now, because they know, like New Year's, because of New Year's parties and all these sort of things. They have this year. I've seen them everywhere, but they have these huge bags of cheese cubes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's deadly because you cannot walk past a bowl of cheese cubes without grabbing. I know. I watched handful. you. Oh. It was like, and you even told me. I think I just got called fat on the radio. No, right? yeah. you didn't get called fat on the radio. <laughs> I just called you out for the cheese bowls. <laughs> well, that's okay. I I ate plenty. First time I could have solid food in a while, and it was just like, ooh, that looks good, and, and ooh, it, that looks good. And it just, it degraded. All everybody <laughs> talked about was cars all night. Mm -hmm. it, just, it just, the whole thing was this truck and people taking you out and showing, ooh, that was the other thing, by the way. I got my uh, animal rescue rig finally registered. Yay! I had to get uh, an exemption from the state for paying taxes on it because mm -hmm. it's a charity vehicle, mm -hmm. and it only took six months. So I, although I took possession of it in July, um, I finally got it registered this weekend. Now I can drive yeah. it. Yeah. Now drive. I went to start it, and the battery's flat. Oh, I can help you with that. No worries. <laughs> oh, you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have to take the boat off the top, and it's going. I think tomorrow we're going to take it down to have it lowered because it's a six and a half inch lift on it, which is way too tall. So I have um, a six on my truck. That's too tall. No. It's because you're only four foot two. Eleven. Uh, four foot eleven, sorry. And a half. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, it's like I'm six and a half years old. Hey, that's important. Wait, the half? Yes. Yeah, wait till you get older. You shrink. <laughs> I'm an inch I'm an inch shorter than I used to be. That's why I'm getting rid of the six and a half inch lift. All right, stand by. Coming up, we're gonna talk about the new Charger GT with Ashton and Charger.
You're listening to Our Auto Expert. So everybody's reeling from, uh, you know, holiday cheer. And we're all trying to get back uh, on the road and uh, get our stuff back to go again. The, the deals from uh, we've sort of finished with or finishing up with the New Year deals, most of those expired now or uh, expiring probably Sunday night. But the new ones will be sort of Martin Luther King and President's Day, which will be coming at the beginning of the year. Uh, the best time of the year to buy a car is still uh, around Labor Day and still in the winter because everybody wants to extend their sales to show that they had a great year. I think the year officially, uh, the end of the sales year is the last weekend or the first weekend in January usually. And then all the sort of new 2020 sales begin as well. So it's kind of, you have to sort of pace yourself and buying. There are some tips to buying a new car, which is kind of good, is you should look very uh, solidly at buying a new car around uh, the end of the month, usually the last couple days of the month because, uh, and then, you know, go several times to the dealership. And when you go to the dealership, uh, test drive the car and sort of walk away two or three times. Um, and then finally, you'll be able to get, uh, you know, a good deal because they'll be chomping at the bit. Now, I'm sure dealers don't like me giving away their internal secrets, but that's always the way I, uh, I buy a new car. If you want to buy a new car, by the way, for the snow, you will think, well, I can't have a muscle car for the snow because it doesn't work, right? Uh, because muscle cars are traditionally rear-wheel drive, but not anymore. No. You can now uh, buy a muscle car uh, which has all-wheel drive, which is kind of, uh, I would say, uh, the abnorm. I think the only muscle car that has all-wheel drive is the to- the Dodge Charger um, and Challenger GT. Well, Charger has always had a had a all-wheel drive, but Ashton joins us from Dodge on the phone. Uh, are you still recovering from your holiday splurging? <laughs> oh yeah, we're uh, down in Florida. Had a lot to eat. Hung out with some family. Wait, in Florida, you es- you escaped the Detroit snow. Oh yeah, I escaped this winter. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. I think that's cheating. I think if you if you live in Detroit, you have to put up with it. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, we got a few more months of bad weather coming up. So, so here I found a downside to the Challenger GT, which is the all-wheel drive. You can't do burnouts in it. Is there a way to disconnect the four-wheel drive? <laughs> you can spin you, in circles. Because once you once it starts slipping, um, it actually engages the front axle. <sighs> so that means I still have to have two. I have to have one for the snow and then one I can do burnouts in. Yeah, and winter a, and summer. And a, a, a tire sponsorship <laughs> would go nicely with that too, because I'd probably be burning through all the tires. You're so calling every time that I get quickly. every time I get lent one uh, out of the fleet, there was always a little note that comes with it that uh, says, you know, uh, um, tires are not free. <laughs> <laughs> tire manufacturers lo- must love Dodge. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I know Pirelli is talking to us about Dodge all the time because uh, you know you burn through so many tires. It's really how so. Presumably, you get to take a press fleet home, right, Ashton? Yeah, yeah. Or you have your internal fleet. How many times did you burn outs in the car? I mean, just maybe an accidentally wheel squeal. But, but oh. does it happen every time you drive <laughs> well, away? Mean, almost every time. But it's funny, the last time we spoke, it was about the wide body. Yes. And you're like, oh, have you ever done a burnout in it? And like, we're just uh, taking camo off and everything. And, and I said no, but since then, I've, I've probably done like, 10, 12, at least. <laughs> didn't, didn't you send us the picture of the skid marks? I think that was you, right? Yeah. yeah. 
It was. It was. It was a few days after. Yeah. I just wanted to let you guys know. Right after we, re- we revealed the car, we uh, did a few little burnouts with it. Uh, it's pretty <laughs> it awesome. awesome. So let me ask you this. If you get an all-wheel drive uh, Challenger GT, um, it, you know, is it sort of tapered down? Is it not as exciting as the regular Challenger? It's more exciting. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's, it's fun. I mean, it, it adds to the confidence you have in, in inclement weather. And so you mentioned Challenger. We've had the Challenger uh, GT all-wheel drive um, for a while now. But we, like I said, for the Charger, we just recently um, came out with that GT all-wheel drive, which was basically the SXT all-wheel, all-wheel drive that we have today, but add all the performance fascias, hood, side sill, spoiler, and then you get the whole performance interior too with the wheel and the performance bolstered seats. So it's kind of a whole package. And that's good because uh, obviously this vehicle in a in a two-wheel drive really negates people owning it in the Mason, above the Mason-Dixon line. So now it sort of really opened it up for everybody. It did, yeah. And it's funny. Every time somebody says that, I'm, I'm always the first to say, hey, I've owned a, a rear-wheel drive in Detroit for the past, you know, 15 years. You can, you can do a rear-wheel drive in, in inclement weather, but this just, this adds to the confidence of people that are kind of hesitant about that still want that muscle car look, but also have the, the, you know, the all, all weather performance as well. So really a lot of times you get car companies that make these all wheel drive vehicles and they sort of, uh, you know, they, they look very claddy. They put cladding on, they put skid plates on so you could off road it in this. So this is just really to enhance the control as well as being able to drive it in bad weather as well. Because I also miss that sort of muscle car look. Once you step into an all wheel drive, it tends to lose the sports car, the muscle car, the performance look of a vehicle. But you manage to maintain that with this vehicle. It does, yeah, and, and we actually didn't have that for a while. Um, we were able to, to work with the engineers again pretty closely and say, hey, um, you know, we think there's a market for the all, the muscle car look with the all-wheel drive system underneath. I, I think I feel very much like um, I, I, every year I look at this and go, you know, Dodge have kind of exhausted everything they can do with the car, and there you go again. There's something else I didn't think of. Uh, <laughs> right now it has a V6 in it. Uh, what, do you think there's a chance that uh, develop a V8 powertrain, or would that just be stupid? Am I am I talking? You know, no. I mean, hey, V8 all-wheel drives are always awesome. Um, at the current moment, we're actually only doing that for the uh, police pursuit car um, that uses our old five-speed transmission. Um, we don't have any plans, obviously, to to do that right now, and, and we don't really like uh, getting into future stuff. But at, at the moment, we don't have any plans for that. The V6 is it's a perfect uh, little all-wheel drive system, and and that engine's great too. Great, good, good efficiency, uh, good power. Even every time I, I mean, I'm so used to these V8s that where everyone's driving, and we usually went to the press. But even when I get into an all-wheel drive V6, I'm like, wow, this has some decent power in it. In, in the third quarter of 2019, Charger notched its highest level of third quarter sales in 13 years uh, in 2009. Uh, the, yep. You would think, yep. you think, when you start to think about this, you know, these, these vehicles seem to just outsell everybody every year and again another record broken. Well, they're amazing vehicles. They're comfortable. You know, I bought my son one. He has an all-wheel drive RT, and it has – it's – it's got a lot of power. It's comfortable. Why are people still Ashton? Why are people still in love with Dodge? I think it's you. I mean, you alluded to it a little bit uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, 
we're just we, we try to do small things to the car um, to keep them fresh. Different packages, like we came out with a Stars and Stripes package on the uh, the U.S. Armed Forces, an Octane edition on the on a 19 model year Hellcat. Just small stuff that you know us car guys and girls would do to their own car, you know, and try to make it uh, in production and, and give our customers just you know something else every year that that they you know that they need. I think that's that's one of the things that keeps us going. Plus, there isn't really a brand out there for the price. I mean, we talk about uh, Dodge uh, having the best dollar per horsepower of any other brand in America. Depending on which one you buy, it's between eighty and a hundred dollars mm-hmm. uh, per horsepower, and nobody else is able to do that. I mean, you can go up to seven hundred horsepower for around seventy thousand dollars, which is you know, just <laughs> it, it is it it is crazy. I mean, if you look at even the two top trims, the Hellcat and the Scat Pack. The Scat Pack is is a no brainer. It's for under forty grand with four hundred eighty five horse rear wheel drive muscle car, and then there's nothing really around that price for that amount of horse that you can get. And then the Hellcat, I mean, it's seven hundred and seven horsepower family seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, the only other cars you're getting into um, even near or, or above that price range, obviously, is when you start getting into the right. premium sedan. Yeah. All right, well, Ashton, thanks for joining us. Uh, the orders for this vehicle start in January for the SXT all-wheel drive, for the Charger GT all-wheel drive. Uh, you can go and test drive one, and your local dealer will... I don't know if he'll let you take in the snow, but at least you could ask, asking, you know, what you're going to get, the worst thing you didn't know. Uh, coming up, you'll find uh, more stuff here at Our Auto Expert Plus. If you want to listen to this show and previous shows, go to the website. You're listening to the R Auto Expert Podcast. And you can catch up with previous episodes of the show. You can find those on our website at Our Auto Expert, along with the automotive videos. And you can read articles about cars and uh, find out what's new, what's going away, what's coming, and what's going to be in driveways in the next few years. All at OurAutoExpert.com, or you can follow us on social media, the Twitters, the Facebooks, and the Instagrams, um, which Jen has a hard, fast hand grip on. (laughs) I was like, where are you going with that? (laughs) Yes, I do the social media. She's. I was going to call you lots of different names then, but... She's my social media maven. We'll just leave it at that. Um, we talked a little bit about this, the technology in this BMW 3 Series that we're driving. So it automatically reverses out of the driveway. You just press the button, and all you do is control the brake. But there are a lot more cars coming in the next year or so, which you're going to have, uh, let's say, autonomous self-driving portions of them in. One is actually available on the market right now. You can buy it, and that's the Hyundai Sonata. The new Sonata, it's been around for a long time. Uh, first appeared in 1985, I think, in uh, Korea. Didn't make it to American shores until the late 80s, early 90s. The interesting thing with this vehicle is that now you can, it has a sort of a, you've seen this on Teslas and Audis and BMWs, a summon uh, command where you can actually use the key fob and drive the car out of the garage. So you don't actually get in the car. You stand outside in the garage and you just hold your key on the key fob and it will drive out automatically. This is not science fiction, everybody. This is a car that starts at, you know, the low $20,000 mark. And fully loaded is around for $34,000, $35,000. Fully loaded. Every single option you could possibly want in that vehicle 
and it has a, a number of really interesting features so that's one the other one you've seen on luxury cars start to appear i remember it's a 2000 and i'm just trying to think what year it was 2004 for my birthday mercedes-benz sent me an s-class to drive and said hey happy birthday here nice. but please drive one of our s-classes mm -hmm. 2004 15 years ago <laughs> really? i didn't get a key with the car i got a credit card and the credit card was the key and you put it in your wallet and you tapped your wallet against the door Ooh, Ooh. that was futuristic <laughs> now we have key fobs that you know obviously as you walk up to the car you walk up to a modern bmw or a mini or a mercedes uh, the Lincolns do this. It's sort of as you walk up, the mirrors will unfold. The uh, the puddle lights will come on. That's the light below the mirror with a little logo in it. Uh, those things happen. That's kind of cool. When the, So that was sort of, you know, the next generation of that. But now with a Sonata and things like that, you no longer, and Lincoln are doing this, you no longer need a key. You use your cell phone. Now, you can have a key. Key still works as it used to work, all the same. But now your cell phone is the key. And this is the cool thing about that your phone as a key. That could be dangerous. Why? What if you lose your cell phone? Maybe well, you can't drive your car. Right? No. Here's a great thing is you can transfer it to another cell phone. Or you still have a key at home. Oh, that's cool. It comes with two keys. That's smart. So, and then there's an online backup version. But here's the cool thing. Was Stephen, were you ever worried about your son Stephen going out when he was younger, like taking your vehicle, and you were a little worried about his, uh, you know? Well, I bought him a Camaro, so I was always worried about him. Right. So, yeah. but when, before he had his own car, he used to borrow yours, presumably. Nope. He never, ever borrowed your car once, ever. Nope. All right. Well, you're unusual. Uh, but for most <laughs> normal parents, their child doesn't own a car. I didn't want him to drive my Camaro. Right. You know, because it was a six-speed, and that's kind of difficult. It was difficult for All right. Him, well, so. I'm not going to use you as an example ever okay, again. Okay, whatever. Uh, you, <laughs> most people's children borrow their vehicles, and they... Okay, you know, I borrowed my mom's. All right. So you borrowed your mom's. Yes. And did your mom ever worried about you? Did you ever do anything you were told not to do? No. My you, never you never stayed out longer than you were supposed to. Like You're, a, you're the worst example person ever. Okay, my sister took my mom's car in the air one time. All that right. was fun. Right. Did she ever do something she was told not to do? Yeah, you don't Did take she your ever mom's get car caught? in the air. No, right. we told her a couple of years ago. So here, <laughs> a, a normal family, let's just put you on the side. Look, a normal family, <laughs> when you lend it and then the kid stays out longer than they were supposed to or they speed, your phone will tell you what they've done and you can oh. turn the key off from, the, what, from your phone. So your son could have been out and he was supposed to be back at 10. Turn the car off. Sorry. You know, Busted. You, you lose the opportunity to use the car. That's awesome. Um, so the, now you have more. Pre every teenager listening is now, I hate you, car companies. I hate you. That's phenomenal. Um, so <laughs> so that's, the, that's, the, that's what you can do with the modern cars now. And also they can geofence them. So if they go outside, if they speed, if they do things, if the car travels faster than it's allowed to. If it goes outside an area, it's allowed to. You get a notification on your phone, and you can call them up, and you can say, hey, Stephen, or not Stephen in your case because you're a weird uh, example, <laughs> but you could say, hey, son, you are doing things that you shouldn't have done. Um, you know, I'm turning the car off, so you can no longer use it. Uber home. Yeah, Uber home. <laughs> Loser. Coming up, Mike Cadell from our auto expert joining us to talk about uh, auto shows and what's happening and who's going away and all that stuff. Coming up next on our auto expert. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. On Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on 
every kind of social media there is, you can start a conversation with our auto expert. Uh, so auto show season starts with L.A. in the fall. And they used to go L.A., Detroit, Chicago, New York, Pebble Beach with the five big shows. But there is Detroit has been vacant for 18 months, so that's sort of uh, evaporated. Um, but it's coming back uh, to talk about auto shows and all things automotive. Joining us on the phone is Mike Cordell. Uh, first of all, do you have a trip to fan hangover? No, no trip to fan hangover. <laughs> but what social media? I heard you talking about that a second ago. The, I don't. I, the, I'm not familiar. The social medias. The Twitters and the Facebooks and the Instagrams. It's a series of tubes. Yeah, it's a series of tubes that are wired together. Uh, no tryptophan on this side of the country. No, what? Why, you no. don't have to? Well, we did have... get some Nashville. We've got friends in town, and we went and took them to get some Nashville hot chicken. And I'll tell you, they were like, wow, this stuff is hot. And I said, it's called Nashville hot chicken. Did pe- do people celebrate the holidays differently in Nashville? Um, no, they don't. They, it's all the same here. Um, I, I would say that what's interesting here is that there's a lot of Friendsgiving. So, you know, the holidays are, and I'm just going to share it. It's going to be fun. Uh, so Christmas day, we're new, we're new to Nashville. We've got family in town from Minnesota. So my, my brother and sister-in-law, they're two boys. And then at two o'clock, our neighbors just came over and then, Midnight came around, and both neighbors were at our house, and we were playing games, and it was a good time. So there, it's like a crash party friend, Friendsgiving Christmas. And so people came over to say Merry Christmas, and you know, 12 hours later, we're still enjoying each other's company. A few bottles have disappeared, and we're into the holiday spirit. Wait, do you have free – so maybe that's the attraction. Do you have a big liquor cabinet you brought from California? <laughs> there might be there might be some some special special cocktail uh drinks that we brought with us but for the most part it's uh, it was just a good time really nice holiday i i think i'm suspicious that your national neighbors made up the friends giving because they knew you had california liquor in the house i'm just saying well i will Not share this <laughs> i'll share this one piece with you jen our neighbor to the left uh he is a professional single skier and just got back from the Ukraine where he was teaching the Ukrainian ski team how to single ski for the upcoming Olympics, giving them wow. all these tips and pointers. And so he brought back this special liquor, if you will, and, and it was it was captivating, to say the least. It tastes like spruce trees. <laughs> Ooh, sounds delicious. All right, this is a car show. We should probably talk about cars. Uh, so no Detroit Auto Show this. Well, there was no Detroit Auto Show last year either, but there's, again, no Detroit Auto Show in uh, in January. No Detroit Auto Show in January. Thank goodness. Um, getting bundled up every morning to go over to the auto show, albeit is tradition. I am looking forward to a June cycle of the Detroit Auto Show where we will be outside enjoying cars for what they are, on pavement with some cruising. I know that all of our coverage, Nick, will be outside as well. We're doing stuff from the show floor, but there's going to be a lot more things happening outside of the show floor, and that's going to be a lot of fun. I will tell you that if uh, people was like, well, what's wrong with an auto show in January in Detroit? If you've never been to Detroit in January, I mean, we've had a few years where it was very pleasant, but there's nothing like standing out waiting for your Uber outside of the auto show and feeling the life escape from your body. 
it's Chicago's that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I just Chicago, remember Chicago. A little history, a little history for you. So the reason the Detroit Auto Show, the North American International Auto Show, was hosted in January was actually pushed by the dealers. So after Christmas, it's cold and snowing outside. The auto industry goes into a little bit of a slump from a sales standpoint. So to spur early sales into the new year, they created the auto show, one, to create an entertainment feature that pulls people into uh, downtown Detroit, two, it gives them a chance to look at some of the newest cars coming to market, and three, it allows the dealers to tie into the process to where in the, in the near future, uh, somebody that's looking for a car, they'll be in a better position to do it. All right, and uh, now it's moving to the summer. I, I guess people shop for cars all year round. Um, what will change in a summer Detroit show? I mean, I know not many uh, details have been released, but at a guess, what will tra- change? This is, of course, not only the Detroit show, but they bill it as the North America, um, North American Auto Show. Sure. I think my biggest concern right now for the Detroit Auto Show happening now in June as opposed to January is going to be the, the lack of cars on carpet. I think a lot of the manufacturers are going to want to take some things outside um, but I think there's a positive with that as well. I think that a lot of the automakers will get into experiential marketing where they use the show floor to pull people in. And in order to pull people in, they can then turn them outside to test drive cars. So I think you'll get a great experiential uh, opportunity. And I think the city will come alive. People will want to do things outside. Automakers have never been able to host outside programming. This will be a first. It could change the industry. Um, I'm hoping, in a sense, too, that uh, it reinvigorates the Detroit auto industry because even though a lot of car companies have sort of moved away from Detroit or Detroit isn't the, the biggest center, it still is the biggest, although it's not the only center of automotive now. I mean, Nissan in Nashville, still quite a lot of guys in California, um, the, the VW group now in Washington, D.C. So there's a lot of people that have moved sort of away from Detroit being a center, but there's still a lot of research and development for all these companies in Detroit, too. Absolutely correct. And I think one thing that will be great about the auto show now being uh, in the June time frame is, is the automakers, especially the big three, so your FDA, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, Ford, and then, uh, of course, um, you know, the team over General Motors, it's going to give them an opportunity to really showcase some new products this year. And I think that's kind of the big talking point is what's coming in store for 2020. I think we're really looking forward to seeing the Ford Bronco, which we've talked about before on air. We're looking forward to the new Ford Mach-E. Um, and then you've got some, some luxury and you know SUVs coming out. You're going to see more from Rivian this year, uh, which I'm excited to, to learn a little bit more about. A lot of new SUVs and a lot of supercars will be hitting the market in 2020. Um, top down, so it'll be a really good year to see some cool cars on the market. Let's let's talk about the Bronco because this is one of uh, the biggest, uh, I guess, topics of discussion that we hear about all the time on uh, questions that come in through social media and through emails. Everybody wants to know when are we going to see the new Ford Bronco. So let let's talk about it a little bit. Initially, it was supposed to be released at the uh, LA Auto Show in the fall this year. Then it was supposed to be uh, its own standalone event in January. Uh, we have been told that New York is probably not an option. Do do we know whereabouts and when we will see the new Bronco? We don't know where and when. Here's what I here's what I'm I'm up to telling you is that I've seen it, um, and and that's about as far as I can go. Here's the deal: in order for Ford to be successful with the Ford Bronco, they have to be able to keep, compete with Jeep and the Rubicon. There's no question that with whatever vehicle they bring to market, they have to bring a, a vehicle to market that can go off roading 
and be functional off-road, be able to compete off-road. So I think Ford is, is purposely ensuring that all elements of this vehicle and this product line are ready to hit the market. You have to hit two different audiences with the Bronco. You have to hit the purists, those that own Ford Broncos, myself being one. Then you have to hit the Jeep buyer and be in a position to pull them away from what they know on the Jeep side or a potential new Jeep buyer into the Bronco market. So expect to see big things with the Bronco when it comes to market in 2020. Uh, are we going to see a number of – so we know that initially that there's one that was based off of the F-150s type size and, and a smaller one which was based off the uh, the small truck, uh, which you know, obviously Ford uh, came out with a couple of years ago. Are we expecting to, to see – uh, a two and a four door in both sizes or a two door in one and a four in another or what's the sort of sizes because there's a bronco and a mini bronco that have been talked about so if you go online and google the ford bronco r this is the one this is the race version it was showcased at the fema show this year you can pull definitely some design skews from or cues from that vehicle as far as size goes we saw a baby Bronco at an LA, a Los Angeles or a pardon me, Las Vegas dealer program kind of gave you an idea that they might have two different versions uh, of the Bronco. I, I'm not at 100% liberty to share. I'm under NDA, uh, having seen the vehicle in person. Uh, but I would expect to see a couple different cons, conceptual uh, ideas around the Bronco when they bring it to market to, to capture multiple audiences. Um, all right, so I'm hoping for two sizes. There was a program I went to about a year and a half ago where they showed the Bronco, uh, sort of some early concept designs, and at that point there was a small and a larger one. So we're going to hold our breath uh, to see if that actually You're going to see something like that. Yeah, and uh, and then, of course, a two- and a four-door would make a lot of sense. Do you think the Bronco competes with the Defender, Land Rover Defender, a sort of a non-luxury version of Land Rover Defender? Yeah, so, I, I mean, this is my take on it, is that if you're going to be into the off-road market and you're a purist and enthusiast, you're going to look at a Jeep, right? That's going to be the first one in, in line because you have that Dana 44 uh, up front. You have a functional off-road vehicle with four-wheel drive. You will consider the Bronco. I think the Defender is going to be pricing itself out of market. That's my, my only concern with the Defender. I'm excited to see it. I saw, I saw a version of it at the LA Auto Show. What, what I think the problem is going to be is it's going to price itself out of market. It'll be for a certain type of off-roader, but I'm not too worried about their sales. They'll, they'll crush it with sales with that vehicle because it has so much history and tradition. Now, wait a second. So we're talking about the Bronco itself uh, pricing-wise. You know, Defender's sort of between fifty dollars and $80,000, and it's a luxury vehicle, obviously a Land Rover and extremely capable. So presumably the Bronco is, I mean, I would expect it to start somewhere in the mid-30s, similar to the, the Jeep Wrangler, and go up to somewhere in around $60,000, which is clearly well-marked into the Defender landscape. Agree, but I always look at starting price first. Right? So Defender's not going to start in the $30,000 range. You think the... the I just look at entry-level prices. The Defender's going to start higher than that? No, no, Defender's, so defenders that, 50 to 80. So Defender yeah, is 50 so looking, to 80. So, but, but I'm saying if Bronco starts in the mid-30s, whereas the Wrangler is, we'd expect that to, to be there, the mid-30s, as a starting price, a base price. It would probably go up to, I think the top Wrangler is like 65 for the diesel fully loaded. Um, so that's not that far from $80,000, which is the top end of the, of the Defender. So it, it's not. It's gonna it's be not. Some I think my point is cut the, the ability to customize, right? 
So you can start with a 30, 30, mid $30,000 Jeep, and you can put wheels on tires on it and feel like an off-roader but not be an off-roader. All right. Well, I mean, my breath is, do you think they've overshot it? Because I do remember with, like, uh, for instance, the Volt, the Chevy Volt VOLT, they had pictures of that thing like 10 years before it actually came out. Do you think the, the, right. the Ford are pushing the, the window of the Bronco? We've been talking about it for yes. in fact, they've been talking about it for two and a half years. Everybody else has oh. been talking about it for five years. I mean, I'm getting tired. Uh, we're all tired. It's like, put up or shut up. Bring the vehicle to market. Everyone wants to see the Bronco. We know that they're trying to get it right, but at some point you just have to pull the silks off the car, show it to the people, give them what you want. In in the world of the old Broncos, uh, do you think the price of the old Broncos is going to drop or go up when the new one comes out? Already going significantly up, probably about four years in now, the Bronco, early Bronco price. If you have an early Bronco and you're a listener to this show, save it. Hold on to it. Keep it. It's just going to go up in price. All right. Good stuff to know. Mike Cordell, you can uh, see his videos. Uh, he got to spend some time in that concept Bronco at the SEMA show. You can see that video at Our Auto Expert. You could see all of his other videos at Our Auto Expert from his TV appearances. Uh, good luck on Fox and Friends tomorrow morning. We will have more Our Auto Expert coming up in a little while. Uh, we also are going to show you some new car stuff that is hopefully going to make your mouth drop somewhat and you'll be excited about plus the genesis g80 and anton woman you're listening to the r auto expert podcast locally created nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast this is our auto expert if it has a throttle we'll feature it online on mobile on air or on your smart speaker ourautoexpert.com is where you'll find previous episodes of the show i'm nick biles along with truck girl jen who now has a mug to show that she is truck girl jen she I got do. it for a christmas present and, and i posted uh, on instagram the first thing you did was send me a picture of it uh, <laughs> your mom is feeding into this whole truck girl jen oh she thing. loves it she, she, she does yeah I, I told her i said i still don't understand it, you know why nick picked that name uh, did i pick it yes you started I think, it okay um I, how, how do the men in your life feel about truck girl jen does you do are you threatening them <sighs> Okay, and there's no. <laughs> okay, how many times we got over this? I'm tingle. Okay. I'm single. Okay. Okay. Um, but all right. anyways, I'll just leave it there. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe it's because I own a couple. So trucks. Yeah. You think that's a man killer? Trucks, truck owning. Uh, I don't know. Why? Why? Are there stickers on the back of things that say "girls like trucks" or "trucks are for girls"? Silly or something? No, I have a KTM sticker, and then I have a. Yeah, but there are stickers out there that say well, trucks are for girls, Sally, right? Yeah, but that's, uh, yeah. I, like, right. I like the black. Well, clearly look. they're for girls. You've got two of them. Well, yeah, but I don't need to, like, tell everybody. Hey. Well, no, they, well, they see you in it. <laughs> you can't. It's all Perhaps you out. could put a trucks are for girls, Sally sticker on your Camaro. <laughs> I don't think that was that funny. No. <laughs> just, just make sure that people, you know, I, by the way, Paying attention. Truck. Or yeah. we get a special sticker made that say, I have two trucks, too, buddy. No, I should just get one that has my hashtag on it. Truck Girl Jen? Yeah. <laughs> All right, no, I think it's gone to your head now. It's a little bit of ego. We need to get one for you, too. Just trying to get the ego out of the show, if possible. Oh. Um, hey, guess what? It's horrible outside. Yeah. Pretty much everywhere in the country. Yeah, I was, I <laughs> was uh, you know, like I anchor quite regularly um, on a Fox station in San Diego. 
uh, well, many stations I appear on around the country, but it's one station I report for in uh, in, in San Diego. Uh, I've been watching all the news stories coming because I'll be down there this next week, uh, you know, reporting. And I, and they're shutting roads like uh, not that far out of San Diego because of snow. The passes up in the mountains are being closed because of snow. Uh, that's pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, this you know bad weather. So it doesn't really matter where you're listening to the show: Chicago, Seattle, Portland, whichever city you're in. Uh, there is uh, bad weather. It is darn cold. <laughs> it's wet and miserable. That's yeah. what it is. Uh, but, you know, there's we get a driver's license from the government, and uh, the, the government say, hey, they, you, now you're good to go. So do we need any more education? Well, we'll talk about that and a little bit about driving school. Todd Harris joining us on the phone. So first of all, Todd, do we need to take more driving classes, or is, is the government licensing test enough? <laughs> I see you got a big chuckle out of me there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like anything else in life, there's always going to be more education. I think it's one of the most comical things with driving is that we do. We're at 16, we go in, and we drive this car for 15 minutes with somebody, and we get a score, and then we leave, and then we drive till we're 80-some years old, and we we determine that we are an expert at it. And it's just the farthest thing from the truth, as you probably well know. That's so. This is obviously one of the the reasons that you started ProDrive. Uh, Are you still out at PIR in Portland? That's where you've always been, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at uh, Portland International Raceway, and uh, we're very proud of our our program, you know. And ProDrive has been around since 1987, and we we teach racing schools and uh, high-performance schools. And my career has been as a race car driver. But one of the things that really hits closest to home is our skid car course where we're just teaching the general public about vehicle dynamics. And you'd be shocked. People can have been driving for 30 years, and we, we, we started with a little classroom, and we put them in a skid car, and we slide all around a parking lot, and they go, gosh, I had no idea about vehicle dynamics that they worked in this way. And then they realize maybe in uh, retrospect, gosh, now I remember that accident I had five years ago, and I, I realized what kind of skid it was. <laughs> So talk to us a little bit about the winter driving courses or the skid car driving courses that you do. Take us through the process. How long does it take? What you would learn and where you where it would help you in real life? Yeah, it's a it's a three hour course. So somebody signs up for it. We uh, have an instructor uh, with three students at a time. There's about a half-hour classroom just to kind of get everybody thinking about these vehicle dynamics, weight transfer. You know what what. Uh, creates this limit of adhesion regardless of whether it's a dry road or it's an icy road. Um, and then we go to the skid car, and we do it all in the parking lot. And the skid car is a Toyota Camry just outfitted with an outrigger system uh, that allows us to raise the car just a tiny bit, take a little, little bit of the weight off of those four contact patches that the Toyota would have, and it just recreates, you know, icy conditions uh, and rather than a simulation. It's not like a computer doing anything. You just physically and mechanically have less grip and you slide around the parking lot and learn about understeer, oversteer. And the biggest thing beyond how to recover from a skid, what's more important, is the knowledge base to keep you from ever getting in a skid in the first place. You know, you do a three-hour course, we, we can bring a lot of information. You could practice skids for the rest of your life, but I think the most important part is to go down the road and say, hey, I realize some of the things I do with the gas, the steering brake, create an unbalanced vehicle and create more opportunity for a skid, which is bad. I uh, I was lucky enough to do the 
uh, as part of the police driving course out at Gresham Police in um, in just outside of Portland, uh, in which they practice with a skid car. I didn't actually get to drive the uh -huh. skid. I just did the pit maneuver, which is the part I enjoy most. But the uh, the the skid car, and 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 I will say the the drivers, the the policemen in Gresham and the police drivers in in Gresham are probably some of the outstanding guys. But a lot of police departments also put their their drivers and their officers through this training too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This uh, there's police agencies all over uh, North America that that do this type of training, and even with ProDrive, in recent years we have uh, trained a few hundred, a couple hundred actually, of of the Portland Fire Department as well, um, TriMet, uh, even uh, uh, the Red Cross with the Bloodmobile, some of their drivers, and then we teach a lot of other corporate groups as well that have drivers that are on the road, and I think. What I always hear back is, hey, this was great training for my on-the-job, but what's even cooler is it's a benefit to my life because most people say, hey, I do more driving actually in my life, even if my job uh, is, is as a driver. And uh, it's an eye-opening experience, and it's really neat, though, too, with like the kids that are 15, 16, right. you know, and they've just got permits or beginning of a license. And we start right off because they're like a sponge. You don't have any, you don't have any old habits to break. Ho so, hopefully oh, you leave. Wow, this this works. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully you leave them with some good habits. Uh, you can contact ProDrive. Todd Harris will be happy to do that. Uh, call them up. Uh, check them out at PIR if you're in in Chicago. There's Nova Driving School. Uh, Dirtfish in Seattle will also help you. Coming up, more our auto expert Genesis G80 Brian Armistead joining us to talk about this piece of luxury machinery. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Catching up with previous episodes of the show, you'll find them on the website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear past episodes, watch videos, read more car insider stories about your next ride. You'll find it all on the website. Uh, a lot of new vehicles coming out in 2020, uh, but some of the vehicles that have made a mark in 2019, we're still talking about because they are outstanding. Joining us on the phone, he is an automotive writer. Uh, you will read his stuff all over the country. Brian Armstead. Uh, Brian, you have been driving one of my favorite vehicles, with, which is the Genesis G80, which provides a luxury car for a non-luxury price uh you hit the nail on the head uh nick i'm done that's the end of the uh end of the interview <laughs> i mean it just it is such an incredible pound for pound value it, it, it and it really fits in well with the whole hyundai usa corporation theme of providing everything possible for really small prices base price on this car nick 42 550 and in terms of what you get for the 42550, you don't feel like you've been like hosed at the dealership if you go in and you buy a brand new one. Now, I don't buy brand new cars, but you know that's that's a whole other story. But if I were to go buy a brand new car, this would be on top of the list. What were you saying? Yeah, and I was going to say that uh, one of the, take us through to start uh, off the I guess the discussion about Genesis. Uh, Genesis are a fairly new car company, but they're they're from old stock, aren't they? That, that's correct, yes. And that is one of the only really drawbacks with this G80. It's not as updated as the uh, Hyundai Sonata that I talked about last week. I mean, the Sonata has really passed it in terms of luxury at a much lower price. But you better believe that Genesis will learn. And I mean, not, I don't want to say learn because they just haven't had the sales to, to back up, you know, to provide the cash needed to 
to move the car forward. But they are planning to increase the, you know, the content on the G80, the G90, and the G70. And it's just a matter of time before an SUV falls in the Genesis range. One of the things. One of the things about this car is, though, that uh, you know Genesis are still in JD Power and Associates Initial Quality Award for last year. They were number one. They were ranked the vehicle with the least initial problems out of any single new car. And that, for a car company that's three or four years old, comes out of the gate really swinging for them. Well, and, and that's really where where it all kind of lies here, Nick. When you get behind the wheel. It feels like a Mercedes-Benz S-Class or 7 Series. You've got double-stitched, uh, double-stitching on the dash and on the doors. You've got high-quality carbon fiber on the door panels and on the upper part of the dash. Uh, Alcantara headliner and uh, pillow treatments. A really, really awesome Lexicon audio system that's included in the base price with the Sport model. Um, air bladders, when you start the car, you feel these air bladders providing a bolster support, and it's not too aggressive like you find in some cars. It just kind of gently snugs you into the seat. And it's not, a, it's not like you have to go racing around corners. It just provides an additional level of support that's surprising. And you don't even realize it's there until you turn off the key and the bladders deflate. And you're like, oh, that's a nice touch. It felt good. Now I'm refreshed when I, you know, I've driven the car several hundred miles since they uh, dropped it off in the driveway. And I'm not tired on any of the travels that I've taken. It's just a really fun car to drive. I think that's one of the things that you don't realize quite regularly when you drive vehicles for long distances, how different you feel when you get somewhere. Uh, some of the, the vehicles that I've driven recently have got some terrible road noise in it. And you'll drive, you know, I had to drive probably about two hours to go to a, a family event over the holiday season. And you drive a vehicle that has a lot, you know, road noise and it's big because you, you need to take a bunch of people with you. You're exhausted. And one of the things I noticed with the G80 is that when I got there and I got back, it was like, ah, oh, this was actually, I feel good, especially with some of the, you know, things like adaptive cruise control and all those things on freeway right. driving that makes a huge difference. Right. Now, little things also add up to big things, Nick, when you turn in terms of the, uh, the level of, you know, noise, vibration and harshness in the vehicle. The double-pane panoramic sunroof is virtually silent. I mean, when it's closed, you don't hear any wind noise. When it's open, you don't hear any wind noise. And at the front of the car, you know, the surround of the, the part of the hood that surrounds the grill and the actual hood itself, there's usually a gap between uh, – well, there's a gap on every car. But Genesis has taken the step of providing a little rubber wind strip there, a weather strip there, to eliminate wind noise going over that gap. So little things like that make it an extremely quiet, extremely pleasant environment. That's until you light up the twin-turbo engine with 365 horsepower. In sport mode, it's an absolute beast to drive and just really, really fun. And people look at you like, what in the heck just happened here? I just got, you know, my door's blown off by a by a, a sedan from, from Korea. What's going on here? Right. I think the other thing I also noticed is they made the car look uh, very like cool. Some On the one I actually had to drive out of the fleet, it had this sort of uh, smoked copper look on the wheels and around the uh, yeah. bevel, around the, uh, the grill at the front. And now I want to do that on my current vehicle because I think that makes it look really classy, the, the smoke bronze, smoke copper color. Oh, smoke copper is, is to die for. Now, my wheels were gunmetal, but they had smoked copper trim rings. Nice. And I also had a smoked copper face on the analog clock on the dash 
which looks a lot better than some of the analog clock offerings from a certain Japanese luxury brand. Uh, it fits in nicely in the dash. It doesn't look like an aftermarket add-on. And it just everything about the car just works. You go to the front, clean design, to the rear, quad exhaust tips. Everything about the car says performance, purpose, and luxury. And it's just a really, really nice melding of, of all of the components involved. Now, I told, I, I told you that the uh, G80 came in at 42. That's where the base model, my sport tested at 56245 which is the base price plus 995 for uh, destination and handling. A lot of value in the car. I mean, we could talk for the next hour, Nick, about all of the features. And the bottom line is that you get this luxury, plus you have a five-year, 60,000-mile new vehicle warranty and a 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a seven-year unlimited uh, rest warranty. And these are things that you just can't measure when you try to maintain a luxury car. Well, it's impressive. You also get three years... Uh, really quick, three years of complimentary maintenance, a uh, complimentary service valet, uh, three years of connected services, your telematics, three years of XM, uh, Sirius XM radio, three years of map upgrades, a lot of value, Nick, in the, uh, in the Genesis G80. Well, and I was noticing, too, that, you know, from the 2019 to the 2020 model, they only, you know, the starting M- MSRP was only $500 difference. You right. know, that's pretty good for, you know. That kind of upgrade. Yeah, it is, it, it is, Jen, and I'm sure they've added uh, more than five hundred dollars worth of value to the car because that's how Hyundai does it. That's how Genesis, uh, Hyundai, the parent company for Genesis, they just content their cars to death. And it makes it really hard to refuse to, you know, to not consider, you know, Hyundai, Kia, a Genesis when you're when you're talking uh, luxury, economy, SUV. You know, the, the future is bright for this company. They continue to build cars that, that leave the naysayers uh, kind of scratching their heads. like, how can we do this? How can we become, you know, the next brand to heavily content our cars like this and build them at the same level of quality, that J.D. Power uh, quality that you were talking about earlier, Nick? In the, in the last 60 seconds we have left, they have three sedans, 70, the 80, and the 90. Uh, any right. sign that there will be SUVs on the horizon? Well, that's what I alluded to a little bit earlier. They have to have a luxury SUV to compete with the likes of Infiniti and Mercedes and BMW and, and you know, Land Rover. It's coming. Uh, I, have, I have no indication or have not received any indication as to when, but I'm sure you'll see a Palisade or a Telluride variant gussied up to Genesis specs with all kinds of luxury doodads on it. And probably, you know, of course, slightly different bodywork too to differentiate itself from, the, uh, from their lesser from its lesser brethren. All right. Brian Armistead, uh, where can we read your work? Uh, primarily, you can read me on uh, DetroitBureau.com, Atlanta Tribune Magazine, and on DriveLatino.com. But if you just Google my name, I'm all over the place, and you can also follow me on Instagram, at Son. Look at some of the pictures of Brian and I together. They're, uh, they'll make you smile <laughs> as well. I think we have, there's about two-foot difference between us. Brian Armistead, always great to have you on the show. Still to come, a packed show on our auto expert. We're going to talk Tesla with Anton Warman. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. We like to have him with us every single week to talk about the future of cars, the industry status, electrics, and bash on Tesla, because I'd like to call Tesla out at every opportunity. 
uh, when they say something and it's not true, which is almost I feel like every time Elon opens his mouth to say something, to be honest with you. Like it's uh, it, it's very hard to find a statement which is completely honest from him. Is that uh, is that how you feel as well, Anton, or you're a little bit more conservative in your feeling? Well, I mean, there's a fine line, as they say, between uh, uh, exaggerating while having some faintest hope that there's a possibility of achieving a stretch goal and saying something that is uh, almost metaphysically impossible to achieve. And uh, in this particular case, uh, sometimes it's one and sometimes the other. I I feel like, you know, uh, the day that he said that your Tesla will go up four times its in value, uh, it was the, the day that I turned off as, as far as statements made by uh, by Elon Musk. But he's made some quite outlandish statements this year, and he's done some outlandish things as well, hasn't he, in the last 12 months? Well, you're bringing up, Nick, uh, a very good example, which is the one he said on April uh, 22nd, or I think it was this year, uh, in which he said that if you buy a Model 3 now, it'll be worth... Uh, I think it said two hundred or two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars by next year. So uh, let's see if let's see if that happens. Let's just consider put me down as a skeptic. I have friends who bought Model Threes and were all in, and now they uh, they can't sell them for uh, the value because people can buy a new one for less than they paid for theirs, uh, which uses their official value. Uh, Tesla is going to roll out uh, some vehicles to its employees in China. Why is this? Well, so Tesla has been in the process of building a a new factory outside of Shanghai uh, that has been financed, uh, from what we can tell, almost completely by a loan initially and vendor financing from Chinese banks and suppliers that came in uh, about a year ago. And uh, now they have uh, rolled that loan over into a new larger loan that will in part refinance the old one. And uh, as part of this process, I think they felt that they they wanted to have some sort of ceremony to say that they actually were able to deliver a car before the end of calendar year 2019. And, and as we have learned here in the last couple of days, it's supposed to be 15 cars that will be delivered to uh, their own employees. Their own employees, by the way, supposedly they make about $800 a month. So I don't know who can afford a Model 3 there, but never, never mind. Uh, I, you know, clearly something is not right here because we can see aerial photographs of the factory having produced at least in the ballpark of 500 cars, if not closer to a thousand, somewhere in that uh, vicinity in which uh, you would think that uh, they have back orders over there for at least 5,000, maybe, maybe many, many more. So why, why not just deliver those uh, thousand or so cars? Uh, clearly that there's an obstacle here in the way either the cars aren't finished, uh, there's some quality issue, there's a permit issue, a license issue of some sort, and uh, how do they get around this? Well, let's just uh, let's give 15 of them to our employees. I can't imagine that their employees are actually buying these cars uh, uh, for full price or any price at all for that matter. So I think this is a ceremonial event that... Uh, uh, I think we should not uh, ascribe to uh, very much uh, relation to rea- reality. But it means that they are actually producing cars in China, even though they may not be up to the quality to put into dealers or at least deliver to paying customers. Well, quality or not, I mean, I'm not so sure that ultimately there's going to be a, a major quality issue, but I, 
uh, they they said as late as um, I think it was early November when the company filed its uh, quarterly financial statement with the Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S. They said very clearly there that the company did not yet have all of the permits and licenses that are required to uh, sell a locally made car in China. Well, supposedly that would have lifted by now. That would have fixed that issue. But maybe it hasn't. Remember that the company said no such thing when they uh, put the first shovel in the ground in early January, essentially a year ago. And then every quarter since then in its quarterly filings with the SEC, when they actually have to attest to truthful statements, the company has kept on repeating every single quarter that they don't have yet all of the licenses and permits required to produce and sell cars in China. Now, normally you would think that you would ensure that you have such licenses and permits before you commit to building the factory in the first place. You don't start investing money, time and effort into building a giant multi-billion dollar factory before you have secured all of those licenses and permits. But here we are almost at New Year's Eve. And what do we have? Well, we have a situation in which they can supposedly only deliver 15 cars to employees, and we don't even know if they're paying for it. All right, that's Tom Woman. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back talking about Rivian, Volkswagen, and Audi. That's all to come as we continue our auto expert. You're listening to our auto expert. On the phone with us, Anton Wallman. He's an independent analyst and investor. You can read the majority of his stuff at Seeking Alpha or The Street. Uh, Anton, before we get back into talking about uh, electric cars for the future of 2020, I had an interesting story that I came across, which I thought was uh, worth mentioning, that uh, automaker Volkswagen is accelerating the move into battery-powered cars, saying it will reach the goal of one million electric cars uh, two years ahead of their initial plan. The Wolfsburg-based automotive company said its core VW brand would turn out 1 million battery cars by the end of 2023 instead of 2025 and reached 1.5 million vehicles by the end of 2025. Uh, they're accelerating more towards electric because question mark. Well, there are two things to be said about that. Uh, first, to your last question, why they are doing this to the extent that they are indeed doing this. They're doing this thing for one reason and one reason only, and that are that is primarily the uh, mandate in the European Union that uh, really comes into force here in January 1st, starting just a few days from now, uh, with the calendar 2020, and then accelerates year after year after year, and then reaches gigantic proportions by 2030, which is as far out as the plan goes. And uh, what Volkswagen does is simply to say, look, we are going to comply with this mandate. If you actually were to run these similar numbers for all the other automakers, you would come to a very similar conclusion on a proportional basis, whether you're Fiat or Ford or any other automaker, Toyota, Nissan, you go up and down the line, they're all going to have to meet the same mandate. And since the mandate means that you have to sell more of cars that people are not willing to pay the full cost of on a voluntary basis, that means that the automaker lacking subsidies will simply have to subsidize these cars. So, of course, as a supplier, you're not going to make any more of these cars than you absolutely have to by law. But that number in Europe turns out to be huge. And all Volkswagen is doing with this statement is to say that, yes, Mr. Government, 
Stalin said jump, we asked back how high. And that's the number that the equation spit out at the other end. So uh, that's the story here, Nick. If Volkswagen can do it, what stops any other car company uh, pushing forward in that way? So presumably everybody else is going to follow suit because they're uh, it's slightly smaller maybe than Volkswagen, but they still have those mandatory uh, numbers to meet. That is correct, Nick. That is on a proportional basis. There's nothing whatsoever unique about what Volkswagen is saying and doing here because they have to meet the exact same uh, mathematical formula that all the other uh, automakers have to do. Volkswagen has taken on from a, um, how should we say, from a just a linguistic, from a rhetorical standpoint, a slightly more bullish stance here because they feel, you know, that old German guilt, I think, because of Dieselgate, that they now have to uh, use rhetoric that is, you know, that is that that swings the pendulum so far in the opposite direction that it's going to compensate for uh, events that occurred in the past. And other automakers, such as an FCA or Nissan or Toyota or whomever, they don't really feel that same level of guilt. And as a result, they're not talking about it quite as much. But the number that they have to meet is identical. All right, let's talk a little bit about a couple of the other future vehicles that uh, I've seen starting to crop up, especially in a Motor One article, which talks about future vehicles that we could see in the next couple of years. The 2020 Land Rover Road Rover. Now, this is a sedan, whereas Land Rover have only made uh, cars up until now. Uh, sorry, only made SUVs up until now. This will be a sedan for the Land Rover brand, but that's in direct competition with its uh, Jaguar partner, who who is, of course, uh, both owned by Tata Company. So are Land Rover really getting into the sedan market, or is this something that is just wishful thinking by some people at Motor One? No, I, first of all, I should say I do not have personal confirmation what the body style is going to look like. What I do know, however, is that Land Rover will come out with not just one, but multiple full battery electric vehicles, and for the same reason that we talked about earlier, because they have to. And if you're a Land Rover and you say to yourself, wow, what are we known for? What is Jaguar known for? How well is Jaguar doing right now? And how well is the Land Rover slash Range Rover brands doing right now? You might just conclude that uh, as a matter of throwing just a little bit of spaghetti on the wall with a Jaguar that is in deep trouble in comparison to the Land Rover brand, why don't we make one of those future battery electric, full battery electric uh, Land Rovers into something more of a sedan? Because if you think about it, uh, when it comes to achieving the range for a battery electric car, aerodynamics becomes uh, rather important. And what has better aerodynamics, a sedan or a, a very squarish SUV. Well, it's, of course, the sedan. So if you do a body style that is a little bit more in a sedan direction, at least, then maybe you can eke out uh, a longer range than if you were to just simply put this thing in the equivalent of a full-size uh, Range Rover or Range Rover Discovery or equivalent. A lot of the cars coming out next year look like high-performance cars, a lot of the new uh, cars that people are predicting coming out. One of them, however, is is not, and that is uh, there is this 2020 Kia Mojave, which uh, Kia are talking on, or at least Motor One are talking about, the Korean company bringing out a second smaller but very rugged SUV. 
that, to be honest with you, looks exactly like the Telluride. Now, this is still a rumored vehicle. Uh, we haven't got any confirmation about it. Now, the Telluride has been a, such a huge success for Kia, back-ordered by at least two months, depending on what state that you live in. Uh, is, is, it may, is it a sensible statement to say that uh, Kia will now try to bring out other vehicles similar to the Telluride, but uh, maybe slightly smaller? Absolutely. And this mimics, by the way, a little bit of the um, uh, uh, strategies that have been employed by both the Jeep and by uh, the aforementioned Land Rover, as well as Ford. If you think about it, all of those companies are now essentially bifurcating their crossover and SUV strategies. They will have uh, one line of vehicles that are a bit softer, a little more city-like, uh, like the Ford Escape, for example. And then they will come out with a, a version that uh, may share a lot of the same underpinnings, but to the human eye looks a lot more square and upright, rugged, more off-road worthy. And the difference in practice may not be gigantic, but in terms of the image that it portrays uh, will be rather different. So it certainly would make sense that Kia would employ a similar strategy. They're coming out with the, I think it's called the Seltos now that they just showed a month or two ago. Yep. That'll hit uh, uh, dealerships here by the end of the first quarter. Uh, that is a bit of a more slightly uh, to the softer slash city type uh, vehicle, although not extremely so. But you can certainly see whereby they have noticed that uh, what sells the best are in many cases uh, the most uh, sought-after vehicle in, uh, vehicles in the market tend to be the slightly more squarish, more upright, more rugged ones. Look at the Mercedes G. Look at the evergreen Jeep Wrangler, for example. Look at what Ford is going to be doing with these new lines of two Bronco vehicles that we will see here in the coming months. So I think that if uh, Kia is perceptive here, and Kia, of course, does excellent market research, they have their nose very well attuned to where the market is going. And I think to the extent that they are going to do this, and I'm not saying that I know that they will do this. I think it would make uh, perfect sense. One of the things that uh, we do know is happening is that a car company that had everything against it from the beginning, uh, which is Rivian with their electric truck and their electric SUV, uh, the S1 and the R1, I think they were called, uh, now they have a further 1.3 billion more uh, various investors coming to the table. This really looks like it might happen. Yeah, I mean, at some point, someone gets lucky, right? And all, all everything just comes together. It's uh, you go to a ball in Monaco, you meet Prince, Prince Rainier, and voila, you're the princess, right? Or a queen or something. And uh, I think what happened here is something similar with the Rivian. They, they, uh, you know, there were there have been way too many electric car startups. Almost all of them have failed, uh, whether in the U.S. or in Europe or for heaven's sake, in China, where there are over 350 of them, uh, almost all of them will certainly fail in the end. But Rivian uh, managed to secure uh, financing. They got a cheap factory uh, in normal Illinois, and they got um, uh, Amazon as an anchor customer. They signed on Ford with a partnership, and now they've raised several billions of dollars. And it looks to me that just based on the Amazon order alone, which will take them a decade to fulfill, uh, to sell them 100,000 delivery vans. That puts a sort of a base in the pyramid by which they're almost guaranteed now that the entity will live on, whether they will be economically defensible, deliver meaningful positive uh, margins, and so forth. That's a different story. But I think that there are, in, there are enough stakeholders now who are hanging their hat on 
Rivian's success, Ford and Amazon most prominently, that uh, I don't see them going away here for a long time. CES on the way, we're expected to see in the new Fisker Ocean SUV, which is almost 100% recycled. Well, yeah, I mean, it's almost also in need of some proof of actual funding, factory, and all the other things that it'll take to get a company out. We have, I seem to believe that I've heard this story before from Fisker. There have been many times when we have heard the wolf cry here coming around the corner and nothing has ever come out of it except one de facto bankruptcy. So um, I uh, pardon my skepticism here, but uh, when you put this in the context of a Rivian and you have a Tesla's in the market, and of course every automaker is under the gun now to uh, sell a very large percentage of their vehicles over the next several years being all electric, it is it is an uphill battle for another upstart. And until I see financing and I see a factory and a team, I mean, how many employees does this company have? Do they have people who are working on manufacturing? Where is the factory? Where is the financing to pay for a factory? And more and more. So those are those are the uh, little nitty gritty here where. Uh, you know, it's very easy to come up with a, a studio-like concept car, but I think we need to see a lot more than that to be convinced. Uh, ID3, the VW uh, electric vehicle, got some problems with the software? Yeah, you may have noticed that at the very beginning of this year, there was a huge shakeup in Volkswagen software department, the, the department which they're trying to step up to a grand total of 10,000 people. They, they fired or the guy who was in charge of it, he basically left. And they he was replaced with another guy and all sorts of other people in that organization left. At that point, I believe I told you at the time that I think that uh, this is the sign of something is not right with the software that's going to go into this thing. And we might see delays. And we just got confirmation here in the last week that indeed, yes, there appears to be a problem. And they've made on the general order of 10,000 vehicles and over the next month or two are going to make another 10,000 vehicles. And they're basically just sitting in a big parking lot awaiting an approved software release that they will manually install in these vehicles first. And after that, they will start delivering them. And uh, before this debacle, they had said that deliveries would take place in the second quarter. And we had better hope that there are no further delays here because, of course, this is of paramount importance to Volkswagen as a group. All right. Anton, where can we uh, read most of your stuff? Most of my stuff is published at SeekingAlpha.com and at TheStreet.com. Anton has a great insight into the automotive world and gets a lot of the stories before many others. Also follow him on uh, social media because there is plenty of good stories coming out. I get most of my news from Anton because he has all of those inside uh, information pieces. Uh, Go ahead, listen to previous episodes of the show at OurAutoExpert.com. You can podcast them uh, through Podbean. You can also follow us and ask us questions on social media. Don't be scared. We don't buy, at least not very hard. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. From Chuck Girl Jen, I'm Nick Miles. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Our Auto Expert. And message us for a quick and witty response.